Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis 1 how God spoke light into existence and how the centurion Matthew 8 trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ that he was God and that he could speak the word only to save his servant. Now, this message is available at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes by searching for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, are you interested in learning more about the Jewish people, their past, their present, their future? Well, Tom Cantor's written a book on the life of Joseph. It's entitled Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History and Future of the Jewish People Through the Life of Joseph. Now, this book from Tom Cantor called The Life of Joseph actually parallels the life of Joseph in the Scriptures and also parallels the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament as well as the Jewish people and their past, present, and future through the life of Joseph And we see that through Scripture, and Tom Cantor shows this in this wonderful book, and we'd like you to obtain a copy of it. So please call us today, now or after the program, for a donation of $20 or more. We'll send you this book, 1-800-247-3051. So get the history and future of the Jewish people, the life of Joseph, 1-800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. 3051, or you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org. We have a bookstore available online with all of Tom Cantor's resources and materials, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis 1 how God spoke light into existence, paralleling that with the centurion in Matthew 8 who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ that he was God and that he could speak the word only to save his servant. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Teaching, teaching, teaching. It's a call to teaching. We need to be good teachers. All of us do. What does it say? What did, what did Paul say to his son in the faith, Timothy? He said in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.25, he says, Timothy, I want you to do something in meekness instructing. He says those words, meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. You remember Timothy, how he was killed, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, is that he was out there protesting against an idolatrous uh, march, and he was trampled to death. And this is what Paul told him, Timothy, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Don't see them as your enemies. See them as those who are shooting themselves in the foot. See them as those who, like when I was on the plane going to Nairobi from London, and in this part of the plane, there was only two of us, it's me and this other lady, and I said, oh, what are you going to Nairobi for? And she said, well, I'm an anthropologist. I should have known what that meant. So, uh, and she said, well, what are you going there for? So I don't know. I said, well, I'm an evangelist. That's what I told her. <laughs> but anyway, I realized she was going there to prove uh, that man came from nothing or evolution and all that. The, the link, the, she was looking for the missing links, with the apes and all. So she said, oh, she says, I fight against people like you. <laughs> I said, well, this is going to be a great flight. No, but I said, you fight against God? I said to her, do you think you can win? <laughs> I know, it sounds funny, but I, it's serious, you know. It's very serious. Do you think you can win against God? you think you can win that battle? This is what Paul was telling Timothy in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. To fight against God is to oppose yourself, is to shoot yourself in the foot. So we, in meekness, try to help people. How? 
by instructing them, Paul said, instructing them. Maybe, he said, if peradventure God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, maybe they'll repent, maybe they'll be saved. How? Because you took time to instruct them. Because you took time to teach them. You took time to show them. So this rakaf is a very, very important word because it's talking about teach. Let me show you what I mean. In, Gen- in uh, Jeremiah 23, 9, the verse that we're talking about, it says, Mine heart within me is broken. He says, broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. That's our word, rakaf. They shake. And he says, I'm like a drunken man and a man that wine has overcome him. That's what he says. Because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. You know, start with the last part of that verse. It says, it's because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. Because of that, he says, he says try to create the scene in your mind of the prophet there because of the words and he's reading about this and he's thinking about the prophets and his heart gets is broken. He says, the feeling of, all, of it is like I've been overwhelmed with intoxication, with wine. I'm drunken, he says. And then he says, my bones shake. That's our word. My bones shake. Why? Because he says, he says, I'm all stirred up. I'm all, I'm all shaken up inside. That's an important part for teaching. Not just to give information, but to let the words, these words, shake us in our bones. Then you, then, then you go teach. Then you go teach. Then you go share your faith, however they say, share the gospel, whatever you want to share, or you preach or whatever. You instruct those that impose themselves because the word has shaken you in your bones. So Jim, Pastor Jim used to call this being exercised by the word. Exercised, however you want to call it. But this is the picture here. So it's very, very simple word. Very simple word that we read in Genesis 1-2 when it says the Spirit of God moved. Very simple word. Moved on the face of the water. Spirit of God. But this word moved, this word rakaf is pregnant with meaning. And we've seen we could, we, could, we could say, Rakaf, would you take the podium right now? And you could teach us all. And, and that's what God wants to do through this word. Rakaf, teach us. Teach us who God is. God is the God of Rakaf. God is the God who's concerned and he's hovering over his creation and over man. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. How to use that fact that God is the God of the hovering. Teach us how to work with and pray for the lost. And Rakaf can teach us that, to be concerned about them, to let, as we saw last week, their need penetrate our souls. Teach us how to teach. And we can hear that from Rakaf, let, to, let these words shake you up, shake you up in your bones, shake. So we're making good progress now. In our, where are we? We're back in Genesis 1. We're making very good progress. Now, darkness. This it was the darkness that caused the Spirit of God to hover with concern over the earth. It was the darkness that caused God to give the command, light, let there be light. And there was light. That caused light to be created. And by the way, verse 3 is another powerful argument when you pray. We get all hung up in prayer trying to tell God how he should fix a problem. You ever done that? You know, like he needs an instruction manual. He doesn't actually need our advice. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even have a, a cabinet. He doesn't have a cabinet and he goes around the table and says, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? He doesn't do that. But what he does do is he speaks very powerful commands. 
That's the meaning, that, that's the lesson we get in verse 3. Very powerful commands. Let there be light. There was light. You know, there was a certain man in the New Testament who got a hold of this concept in Genesis 1-3, and he used it in prayer, and from his example, he teaches us how to pray. Let's turn to that. That's an exciting part. Uh, Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, the city, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, epilepsy. Sick of the palsy. Grievously tormented. Ever been around someone who's had an epileptic, a grand mal fit? You don't feel helpless. You feel helpless. And And Jesus saith unto him, I'll come. I'll come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now, this is a tremendous event. Tremendous event. A Roman centurion runs up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the scene? Can you picture that? I mean, here's the Jewish Messiah surrounded by his Jewish followers. And here runs up this Roman centurion. Roman, Roman, Roman. Goy, goy, goy. He, not just any goy. He's a, he's a, a Roman uh, uh, he's an officer in the occupying force. Fierce. He's got a sword. He's tattooed with his typical tattoo of his brigade on him, which says, I'll die for Rome. I'll die for Caesar. I mean, think of him like a, a, an SS officer in the Nazi army. Think of him along those lines. And he's got his big swastika on him and so forth. And this centurion comes with a broken heart. He's broken. Because he's got a sick servant, and he loves his servant. And he's helpless. He doesn't know what to do. And so he's been following on the sidelines. Maybe he's been hearing himself, or he's been getting reports, and he's been watching the Savior, and he's been watching his sick servant convulsing on his bed at home. And the centurion has done everything he possibly can do for the servant. But when he goes into one of those seizures, he turns and he says, what are we going to do? And so he resolves he's going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for help for his sick servant. I mean, think of this man. Think of him as praying to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's very specific in his request in verse 6. Good instruction as we've seen for prayer. My servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Very specific. You got it right on. There exactly what the problem was. Then the Lord 
since the centurion in his request was very, very specific, he said, my, my servant lieth at home. So the Lord took his words and he says, then I'll go to your home. I'll go to your home and I will uh, heal the servant. Then the centurion says, that's not necessary. It's not necessary for you to come. The centurion was more specific in his request. He says, just speak the word. Speak the word only. Let the Lord, and then the Lord healed the servant, like we know later on. But he said he was astonished at this man's faith. As a matter of fact, when he healed the servant, it's very interesting. In ver- he said in verse, because the Lord said in verse 13, it all had to do with what the centurion believed. As thou hast believed, so be it unto thee. So our question is naturally, what did the centurion believe that made him do this miraculous healing? Well, do you know what the centurion believed? He believed Genesis 1-3. He believed our verse. He believed, furthermore, that he was talking to the person who said that in Genesis 1-3. That's what the centurion believed. He said, I'm talking to the person who said, let there be light. And there was light. He believed those two essential things. And that's why the only times when the centurion addressed him, which is in verse 6 and 7, he starts out by calling him what? Lord. He says, Lord, Lord. He's telling him, that's what he's saying here. But not just Lord as in a vague term, but the Lord who said, let there be light and there was light. Lord, speak the word only. He's telling him, that's what he's saying here. But not just Lord as in a vague term. But the Lord who said, let there be light, and there was light. Lord, speak the word only. He said this. Now, not only did the centurion call him Lord, as we said, but he spoke these tremendous words. Speak the word only. Be healed. My servant will be healed. Speak the word only. He was saying he believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was the God of Genesis 1-3. That's it. That's very simple. That's what this centurion was saying. He believed he was the God of Genesis 1-3. And he said, let there be like that. Now, with these words, the centurion teaches us two very important lessons that we need to know specifically to be effective in prayer. Two points we need to keep in mind. When we pray, we've got to be like that centurion. We've got to be like that centurion Believe and believe Genesis 1-3. God said, let there light. God commanded the light, and there was light. Number two, when we pray, we must believe that the person we're praying to, specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, is that God from Genesis 1-3. It's him. That's very important. We have to say, we have to say to the centurion when we get to heaven, thank you, Mr. Centurion. We have to do that. Will you remember to do that? You go up to him, you say, thank you, Mr. Centurion. We learned a lot about how to pray from your clear, simple words. And they helped us when we were down on earth. That's what we got to do when we get to heaven. Now, continue with this remarkable scene in your mind. So you go back in, in verse 10 to the point where the centurion has made this incredible proclamation that he believes he is speaking to God, the God of Genesis 1-3. And so at verse 10, the centurion's made his request, and the man of great authority stands at attention and waits patiently. I don't know if you see this here, but the Lord didn't do it right away. He just stands there and he waits patiently before the man who he knows is God. And he's standing there. And then the Lord is stunned. 
by this, what the centurion said. And the Lord says, well, wait a minute. Before I give this man his request and dismiss him, I've got a great teaching opportunity here, and I'm not going to let it go by. And so instead now, he turns to his Jewish followers, and he says, man, I've been looking for this kind of faith all over Israel. And it's been a dry gulch. And this man has just quenched my thirst for the faith I was hoping to find. But he didn't say those words, but that's a paraphrase. But anyway, he said, I've been looking for faith, saving faith of who I am in Israel. And I have not found it. So the great Rabbi Jesus, and I want you to see him in this light. The great Rabbi Jesus is using this scene of the centurion to wake up Israel and to provoke them to jealousy as in a very typical rabbinic manner because Rabbi Jesus holds the centurion in place and then he turns and says to his followers, you see what I mean? He believes what you don't. That's what's going on here. He believes Genesis 1-3. He believes I'm the God of Genesis 1-3. This is all, all being said without being said as he turns to them. He believes God can. That's very simple. He believes God can. And that God only has to speak the word only. And then he says, you see what I mean? You see what I mean? He believes I am God. Two points. He believes God can, and he believes I am God. The God of Genesis 1-3. Then Rabbi Jesus turns to his Jewish followers and says, this centurion is part of a group called the many from the east and the west. And this many, this many, he's talking to them, right? He's just standing, the centurion's just standing there, you know, standing there. The, this many from the east and the west, you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're going to sit down in the kingdom of heaven. They're going to be in heaven, is what he's saying. And then Rabbi Jesus says, there's a tragedy here in Israel because he says to his Jewish followers, most, the majority, the majority of the children of the kingdom, by contrast, will be cast out into outer darkness. And there's going to be a place of suffering, he says. It's going to be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. You gnash your teeth when you're in great anxiety. They sell things for that in CVS pharmacy, so at night you don't sit there and grind your teeth. Because you're just, this is, it's anxiety, the gnashing of teeth. And Rabbi Jesus leaves then the thought in their mind that the majority of the Jewish, the Jewish children of the kingdom are, are going to miss out. They're going to lose. And he left that thought in their mind so they could see it. And they could, they could see it's because of the many from the east and the west that believe the Lord Jesus Christ is the God of Genesis 1-3 who believes all he has to do is to speak the word, and it'll be so. And he's teaching his followers these things, that unless a person believes, unless a person believes that I am God, I am the God of Genesis 1-3, he cannot get to heaven. He can't get to heaven. It's just that important. When he got to John 8-24, he said, I said therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins. What a proclamation. A person was going to die in their sins. He says, if, for if you believe not that I am, that I am the I am, that's what he was saying, you shall die in your sins if you don't believe that. 
You'll die in your sins. Unless a person believes that he is God and trusts in his death for their sins as the perfect man, the God-man, and not in any of their good works to get to heaven, and calls him Lord as the centurion did, and obeys him as Lord as the centurion did, they can't get to heaven. It's just that important. They can't get to heaven. They can't get to heaven. So you want to write a little thing that says how to get to heaven? Point number one, you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, is the God of Genesis 1-3, the God who said, let there be light. Okay, so he has all this kind of uh, spoken, unspoken going on to his followers here, Rabbi Jesus does, and then he turns to the, the centurion and he says, at ease, centurion, as thou hast believed, be it unto thee. The teaching has finished now. He got his request, but the Lord used it as a great teaching example to show the ones he was sent to, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, what's the issue? What's the problem? A couple of weeks ago, it was a Monday afternoon, and I was in the conference room in the Creation Museum building with a dear friend, a dear, dear friend, a rabbi. We spent six hours that day going through the scriptures. Six hours going through the scriptures. I was trying so hard to show him from the scriptures the issue. The Lord Jesus Christ, I wasn't talking about that he's the Messiah. I was talking about he's God. He's God. If he's God, all the other stuff falls in place. And so what happened was that... Um, Sherry, who works for us, a very dear Gentile woman, works in our company. She had come into the back of the room to make coffee. She was doing that while we were going through this, this discussion. And Sherry was taking the longest time to make coffee. And I was wondering, what's taking so long? What, she doesn't have to grind the beans or anything. What is going on? It's taking so long for her with the coffee, you know. And I was striving to show from the scriptures to the other to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ was God, and my dear rabbi friend was kind of sort of struggling and a sort of resistance and holding back, you know, and I was saying, you know, I'll believe for you. I'll just wrap my arms around you and we'll take you with me, you know. And, you know, he's kind of like holding back, and I'm kind of like going forward, and I feel a hand in my chest. And, and Sherry's just taking the longest time. And then she comes out forward, and she says, and she, she's leaving, she goes, I'm sorry to take so long, but I just love to hear all this from the Bible. That's what she said. I just wish I could be a little mouse in the corner of the room and just stay here all the time just to listen to this, is what she said. And I was stunned. I thought, well, I guess it's not me then. Anyway, so I was stunned, and I thought to myself, well, here is a Gentile woman like the Syrophoenician, very much like the Syrophoenician woman, who said, I'm willing to eat the crumbs that fall from the table she says, and here's this rabbi kind of holding back, troubled, somewhat resistant, he was resistant to the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ was God. And here's this dear Gentile woman saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. I want to know more, more, more about Jesus, more about Jesus on his throne, more of his kingdom, his glory, so forth. So you see, you get the picture? It's the same thing here. And it all comes down to this truth. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was the one of Genesis 1-3? That he was the one who has the powerful commands to say, let there be light, and there's light. Father, thank you so much. Oh, Father, thank you so much for sending your son. God, very God, 
to be our Savior, to be our Lamb. Lord, John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God. We call him our Lamb of God. We own him, Lord, this morning as our Savior, as our God. Lord, and we pray, help us to dispel from our hearts any hesitation in seeing you, Lord Jesus, as the God of Genesis 1-3 who spoke, let there be light, and there was light. Thank you for hearing our prayer today. Help us to learn also from the centurion about simple faith and trust in you as our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Israel Restoration Ministries is sending out missionaries again this summer, door-to-door, to reach the Jewish people with the gospel. Now, would you like to support a missionary who's going out and bringing the gospel to the Jewish people first this summer? Well, you've got an opportunity to help with a one-time or monthly donation for our next 12-week campaign called the Summer Blitz. We've done this Summer Blitz the past three summers, and we've reached almost a million lost Jewish people with the gospel in 18 different cities. Now, again, this is our fourth summer doing this, where we bring Jewish-based gospel materials to help answer the questions of many Orthodox, Hasidic, Reformed, and religious Jewish people in these communities, in these uh, major cities. And again, that's why we take them door-to-door. And surprisingly, many of them receive them well, and they call us later. Many of them do receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do begin discipleship, and some of them eventually do attend church, and we work with them and answer their questions so that God's lost chosen nation of people can be reached. Now, we need your prayer for the next 12-week campaign, but we need your financial support, too, if you'd like to support a missionary reaching the Jewish people. Call us now, 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org.